This week's episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by Fanatical. What's Fanatical? Oh, come on, you know what Fanatical is. It is their 10th anniversary. And right now, there is no better time than to go to nerdcognito.com, scroll down the page to our sponsors links, and click on that link to Fanatical. Because for their 10th birthday bash, they have huge savings and flash deals on amazing games to build up your Steam or your console library. It's truly amazing, the discounts that are in there. And there are exclusive bundles and even more. So help Fanaticals celebrate their 10th birthday by throwing them a couple of clicks, maybe bolstering your Steam library and picking up a few new games. Again, go to nerdcognito.com. Be sure to use our link so they know that we sent you and build out your library. Happy 10th, Fanatical. Nerd Cognito. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know what just happened. Bert, did that sound like Nerd Cognito's intro just blasted your ass at the last two seconds? <laughs> Got really loud at the end for some reason. It did, and I thought that the bump for the intro with our sponsor this week also did that. And I promise you, my finger is not on the slider. So something weird is happening. Maybe it's just maybe it's just our playback. But uh, God, I hope it is because I don't want to be editing for 19 hours. <laughs> my name is Ryan David. Welcome to Nerd Cognito. A little shop talk for you there. I'm joined by Bert. Hey, Bert. Officially, hey, Bert. <laughs> Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Uh, it's been a long week, and it's going to be another long week. My uh, non-Nerd Cognito projects are just starting to stack up, so uh, uh. I'm kind of burned out, and uh, I had a, a shitty physical mobility week, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I hear you. For those of you that are listening and don't know, uh, I finally let the cat out of the bag, oh, I guess two or three months ago. I do... Uh, I don't like to use the term suffer. I'm afflicted with multiple sclerosis. So every once in a while, it really fucking sucks to walk. And this week was one of those weeks. And of course, this week was the week that, you know, we had to do hiking and horseback riding with the scouts for the little dude. So that didn't help at all. <laughs> the boss did bail me out, though. She she came with us for horseback riding. About halfway through, I was able to retreat to the truck and sit and listen to 80s tunes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Horseback riding, you do need your legs more than people think. Yes, yes. Sometimes I think I've got to. That was playing a lot. And a guy in the barn came out and said, can you turn that down? I was like, come on, who doesn't like soft sell? <laughs> anyway, this week we've got a, a, a little nerdy lineup for you. Bert, you are building out a one-shot in our favorite 5th edition. You're building out a one-shot in 5th edition, yes? I am. Yes, I am. So I figure uh, we can talk about that and just talk about what it's like as a dungeon master, you know, not a creator, but just someone that's running a game to build a one-shot from the ground up, because there's a whole lot that goes into it and a lot of things that have to be considered and balanced and thought through. And, you know, we'll give you a pass that it's 5th edition. 
But the principle behind constructing the one shot is all the same. So I think it would be an interesting chit chat. Okay. Uh, we also have a slew of news. And on the back side of the news, uh, there was a little blow up on Twitter this weekend uh, regarding cultural appropriation hmm. and tabletop role playing games. Uh, a chicky poo of the Asian persuasion insinuated that good old white guys like us have no business in a setting that is Asian inspired. So uh, we're going to talk about that. We'll try our best to balance both sides of the argument. And um, all I got to say is I like kicking sparkle trolls when they're down. So <laughs> it'll be a fun segment. Um Anything interesting on your plate this week, Bert? Eh, not really. You know, work, you know, all the usual stuff. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, Powerball is, like, insane right now. Wouldn't that be lovely for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I would I would take that. Yeah. I mean, you probably wouldn't hear from me again, but I would take it. <laughs> I better still hear from you. I mean, you should be, like, perma-sponsor if you get... One point, what is it now? Nine billion dollars. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now someone might have won that by the time this goes to air, um, which is kind of funny. So I don't want to dwell on it, but it's just an insane amount of money. I remember back in the day when, when, when the big lotteries hit three digits in the millions. Period. So a hundred million people were clamoring for tickets and over the moon and there were the news stories where you saw people lined up around the block now it 1.9 billion you know is fuck fuck that's a lot of money <laughs> it is a lot of money you can't even imagine winning that no that is you know i always use the phrase oh that's not life-changing money uh that is life-changing money for you and Probably every generation of your family there to come. So. <laughs> oh, boy. We don't have life-changing money, Bert. We, we, we don't. We do not. But we do have a one-shot coming up. Uh, tell us about what's going on, and then we'll kick back and forth the, the intricacies that really have to be considered when we're creating one. But tell us a little bit about your one-shot and, and the audience for this one-shot, since it is 5th edition. Well, I am doing... A, so I've got a group of people who have never played any sort of role-playing game before. They all selected 5th edition because they hear that it's the easiest one to start with. So I, uh, you know, I bit the bullet. No, 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 no. Not like that at all. <laughs> you know I couldn't resist. Okay, okay. So you bit the bullet. I bit the bullet, got the books, and I started putting together one shot for them. And, you know, with new players, you never know. Ex you, they have no role-playing experience. So you have no idea sort of what direction they're going to go. So I really had to sit down and think about how I can plan a one shot, a single game day where they can have fun, that doesn't feel like it's on rails, like they're not being railroaded to a goal. Right. You know, you want them to have some agency in the game, but you also want things to go smoothly. So kind of how do you balance that when it comes to creating a one-shot? So that sounds like that was your first and foremost sort of process of mind is making sure that 
that entire, I, I guess, the entire feeling from hour one to who know? Do you have a estimated time on your session? Because you really do have to uh, think about that if you're creating a one shot. We're looking at four to six hours. Okay, so typical session, four to six hours. You got to get start to finish and not be forcing or at least visibly forcing players' hands into things. Exactly. Other considerations, you know, we'll talk about as as they come up. But um, I sort of look at this as illusion of choice is your friend, my friend. <laughs> you have three doors in front of you. Open which one you wish. And it's going to take you to the place that the DM needs. So you still have that feeling of player empowerment, but it does move the story along without, you know, the gun in the ribs of the players forcing them down a, down a path. And I'm big on, on illusion of choice. I always have been. I don't think that that's any secret, but you don't want them to take that wild exit from from what you're looking at, unless there's the possibility that it can spin out into a campaign. But it, it sounds like for this experience, first-timers, very green, limited, if any, role-playing experience, um, it, it's probably best to give them that little guiding hand, just, just so it's not you know clad in an iron gauntlet. Right, right. Now, for me, I tend not to... I tend not to use illusion of choice when I, when I write a campaign, what I'll do is I, you know, with me, I'll do, I'll start with a place setting. That's normally how I start all my campaigns, you know, where, where to, or, or all my one shots anyway, where does the, where does the story take place? Sure. So in this case, it's a coastal city, you know, it's a melting pot. There's people from foreign lands, creatures from all over. There's a grand bazaar. So you can burn up some time with them just exploring the city, meeting people, you know, checking out different establishments. You know, they have some, it's almost sandbox style. They have some agency. They can just go wherever and do whatever. Sure. And then I'll embed probably two or three hooks that could take them to a um, an adventure that would eat up the rest of our time. I figure an hour to explore the city, to check out the different things that are available. There are things like, you can do things like job posting boards in the town square, rumors, like there's all kinds of different ways that you can sort of lead them the way you want to go. But with my one shots, what I'll normally do is I will do probably two or three like complete storylines and then their choices will sort of branch them into one of the three. Right. It's a lot more work, but it kind of makes things feel a little more organic. You know what I mean? Sure. And you know, if you have three very obvious choices, we can cross our fingers and hope that they're going to at least take one of them. And then you right. have those in the in in your back pocket too. If they do come back, or it, it could be six months down the road that they say, "Hey, let's play another one." Or you might have an entirely different group that wants that one shot, and you've got two already prepped. Plus, you know, I I don't know what level of prep you do. Um, I know for me, even at at the campaign level, outside of core encounters. And just lore, there's no 
prep as you would think of it. Like, yes, I prep as a DM. I think every DM preps, but I, I'm not writing out dialogue or story arcs. I'm not creating a Bioware game. You know, I, I print my monsters that I think I'm going to use. I have a handful of encounter groups that I m want to have for story purposes. And then whatever happens, happens. What I'll do is I'll actually create like a, a, a list of short blurbs that are places and NPCs so that I can, you know, it's like, oh, well, we're going to find a bar. Okay, find a bar. Okay, you find a bar called this. And then I'm like, okay, well, I have on my list, I've got, okay, so this bar is full of sailors, like it's a lower class bar. Like, so I'll have a list of just sort of general bullet points for a location and general bullet points for an NPC that they might run into. That way, if I need an NPC on the fly or I need a location on the fly, I can just go to my table, look at the bullet points and kind of ad lib from there. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that sort of we're on the same page here. You know, we, we were we were not on the same page last week with Rule of Cool, but we are on the same page here. Those bullet points are kind of what I would just lump into what I was saying as lore, right? People, places, sure. things, histories, that sort of thing. Right, and and I'm I've kind of got some idea of which way they're leaning. The one player said that you know for his first time he'd like to explore a dungeon, so there's a hook that can take them into exploring a tomb. There's a hook that can take them into sort of out into the wilds because one of the characters is a ranger. So there's that nature element. So it's going to kind of be interesting to see which way they go with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else that you have sort of in your mind as far as prep goes? Um, I try to, unless I'm going to make it very obvious that they should run away, I try to balance monster encounters to the party. So I will, take things that I think are at a reasonable level for them to encounter and have like, and if it's multiple creatures, I'll literally have like another list of bullet points that says, okay, you know, Oh, random encounter. It's, you know, brigands or, you know, this many creatures, like this creature with, you know, a goblin or something that they, I think that they can manage without a total party kill. Uh, and so I'll actually make like, um, not like stat blocks, but basically just like a bullet point of, you know, this many creatures equals a challenge rating six or right. whatever it is that I'm trying to put together. Please, 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 for my sake, give them an encounter that they have to run from and see if they're smart enough to do it. <laughs> there are a couple there, but they're sort of obvious. You know what I mean? Well, I've had... <laughs> I've had some very, very, what I thought was obvious encounters that should be head for Z Hills and <laughs> inevitably one or two of them charge right in, split the party and have an untimely end. Uh, um, I've had that happen too. I actually wrote a, uh, in a campaign setting, I literally had a low level party come across a, um, a conflict in progress. They watched a wizard disintegrate another character and still decided it was a good idea to try, try to take him on. All right, boys, we can take him. <laughs> We're level three and he has disintegrate. We'll be fine. Uh, like, no, no problem whatsoever. <laughs> oh, people are dumb fucks. 
And since they're all brand new players, I'm trying to keep it sort of fun and light, like, you know, as far as the adventure is concerned. I have, like, one of the things that I'll have them do, and I always like to do this because you just wind up with bizarro things, is if they encounter something that has treasure, we'll roll the treasure from the treasure tables just to make it fun. Right. But I gave them each one weird magical item to start with. Oh, do tell, do tell. They're not really powerful magical items, but they're weird magical items. Well, like, what what uh, level are we talking for this for this little shindig? They're all starting at six level. I wanted okay. them to have survivability, not too many abilities to keep track of. So I did something, you know, about a six level for each character. Gotcha, gotcha. And they, and they wanted me to pre-make the characters, so I'm going to have them fill in name, gender, and tell me a little bit about their characters, because they're the ones who have to bring them to life. Okay, okay. So, they, you really did take, well, it's 5th edition, it's not as though character creation is entirely difficult in 5th in fifth edition, but you, you really did take a lot of the angst and the crunch out of the, the character creation process, so really all they have to do is put some flavor on the characters. Exactly. Exactly. The characters are made. I gave them their equipment. I gave them their abilities. Like everything is right there for you. And so, you know, and what we're going to do is just have people draft characters. I'll be like, okay, I've got a dragonborn fighter battle master. He has a glaive. He wears heavy armor. He has these abilities. Who wants him? And then anybody? And then you just pass And then we just pass them out. There you go. There you go. I gave each one of them a strange magical item. The warlock actually has a wand of wonder. Right. One of the fighters has an ivory elephant. <laughs> you remember the ivory elephant? I do. I do. Tell our friends and, and neighbors what the ivory elephant does and why I'm chuckling. It's a, uh, it's a small figurine made out of ivory, about four inches tall. And right. Put it in your pouch. You sp- put it in your pouch. When you speak the command word, it turns into a real full-size elephant that you can use for whatever you want, and then it turns back into a statue and won't work again for 24 hours. I I once had a character that had an ivory elephant and was in a dungeon, and they just could not get through the party, that is. Uh, and this is... I'm going back decades on this memory. But the party just could not break through whatever the locking mechanism was for the door. So we pulled out the <laughs> elephant and, and we, we just said, fuck it up, Jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it's funny. One of the, one of the characters has a horn of blasting. Like I tried not to make them too powerful, but they, the, all the care, all the magical items are sort of strange. You know, the one character has a robe of eyes, which by itself is a pretty normal magical item. Except when you realize that you're basically wearing a robe Covered with eyes walking through yeah, town. I mean, it's eyeballs, and you wouldn't wear it. Walk- See, this is this is the great thing for these players. Uh, if we're fostering new players, they're going to learn some of, I guess, the cultural mores in your game world. You don't wear that in town. You, you just yeah, you, don't. Your robe is blinking at me. Why Why is it doing that? Uh, why, why, is, why are the guards stabbing me? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's good, and... You're not going to be heavy-handed about it, but it could be a great way to to let them know that, you know, it's not all softballs and actions do have consequences. Absolutely. Even at, uh, you know, a fundamental early learning level. Um, 
it sounds like it will be a good time for fifth edition. Anyway, <laughs> you know, I was going to grumble about fifth edition. That's all. I got, uh, I got, I got nothing else to grumble about this week because uh, it's been pretty light week. You know, it's it was relaxing on the gaming front until the weekend hit, and we're going to talk about that on the flip side of the news. Oh shit! The news. What's in the news this week, Ryan? Oh, we got a couple of quick hits. We got a couple of interesting news stories. Um, I don't have anything that will make your brain ooze through your nostrils this week. Oh, that's a plus. Like I said, it, it's been a, a very soft week in general for for the news. Um, and, and for just sort of the hobby in general. Um... Let's kick off with one of my favorite movies and IPs and things that have carried on from childhood through now, and that is The Busters of the Ghosts. Um, okay. There is now a horror-slash-comedy tabletop role-playing game that pays very, very close homage to the boys in the firehouse. Uh, it is Ghost Files Investigative Horror with Ghoul Boys. Not Ghostbusters, Ghoul Boys. Right, because Ghostbusters is a property that you'd have to like. Wow, of course. <laughs> um, Ghoul Boys is the brainchild of designer Riley Daniels, and it puts three and three exactly players into the roles of amateur ghost hunters that have a couple hundred bucks worth of equipment and a location that is supposed to be extremely haunted and the boys have at it or girls have at it as the case would be um interesting there are three primary character roles there is the believer and the skeptic Mm -hmm. which you would absolutely, you know, stereotype and be right on target with with uh, what that role should be played like. And there absolutely. is the producer, which is the guy that's there for the production value of your homemade ghost hunt, which, of course, you're recording and you're going to throw on the ghost tube. Uh, when you guys get back, um, it, it's an interesting little game. It has lots of callbacks and hat tips to Ghostbusters. Um, I don't know exactly how crunchy the mechanics are of it, uh, but it is something that that uh, is on my radar for sure. <laughs> You said you only get a couple hundred dollars worth of equipment, though. So no proton packs, no, no proton ghost packs, traps. no traps. This is, you know, Doctor Venkman, Doctor Stance, and Doctor Spengler right after they got kicked out of the university. <laughs> so you might have, uh, you know, an electromagnetic field reader, or you know, something minor, but no major dealing with ghosts. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's there's. Limited information. It is obviously something that has a lot of love 
and it's only seven bucks. Uh, it was released already, and I love it. Uh, it. It just labor of love, no buzz, no fanfare, no crowdfunding. Just put it out there, seven bucks, download it. If you like it, you can give them a little more. Um, definitely worth seven bucks. Uh, I'm gonna check it out. And, you know, unfortunately, boo season is gone, but it is something that uh, that is on the radar, and you'll probably see a printed-out copy because they don't have a print-on-demand version, which makes me very sad because I <laughs> like the books. Sure you do. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a short game, speaking of one-shots, that is full of, as they call it, scares and laughs for three players. Uh, there's no one that's actually running it. The game runs itself, so you don't need a ghost master um, of, of any kind. And you are off to the races. I think it would be a fun thing for a game night when not everybody is there and it's just the three of us for seven sure. bucks. And that does happen. I mean, it has in the past. Hey, you know what is only $1 more than seven bucks? Uh, eight bucks? Eight bucks, and I'm sure you've heard the buzz that blue check marks across the Twitterverse have been crying and caterwauling, Elon's going to charge us money. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, I did hear about that. Well, I, I sort of tongue-in-cheek, but half-serious recommended to the powers that be because i am not on twitter as we all know <laughs> <laughs> recommended to the powers that be that they should throw out a cheap ass opportunity to get an ad on nerd cognito and that is hey sponsor the nerd cognito twitter to get that fucking blue check mark and sure enough our lovely fans have already stepped up bert we have our first Checkmark Hero. Checkmark Hero. Matt Barninger is our first Checkmark Hero. Longtime listener to the show. We love you, Matt. We've interacted with you a lot on Twitter. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Matt is a writer, and not only in the genres that we love, but he's also a screenwriter and a true lover of all things tabletop. Check him out, mattbarninger.com. Matt, just like you think, B-A-R-N-I-N-G-E-R.com. You can also follow him, Matt Barninger, Matt underscore Barninger on Twitter. So thank you, Matt, for being our first Checkmark Hero. Check thank you, Matt. Hero. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's, it's truly humbling, just the support, especially since my detwittering that we have had from our audience. And it, it truly makes this sort of special for me to do. And, you know, Bert and I have said before, we're not in this to even think about getting into money or Joe Rogan territory. We're in this just because we love bullshitting and we figured people would find it amusing to listen to me, the asshole, and Bert, the level-headed straight man, to talk about the things that we loved. And the fact that so many of you download and support our show just is is humbling, and we're growing almost every month. Um, and it's, it's truly something that is amazing. And now 
we're going to have fucking blue check mark on Twitter. <laughs> so I, I well, th- it, go at ahead. Bert. The, at least the powers that be will. Well, we, it's the show. I mean, I can't touch Twitter because I am Elbanoed, but the show and the, and the powers that be have certainly taken up some of my more, I, I guess we can say reactionary things from Twitter incorporated sparkle troll screenshots and I even saw they were doing a vinyl thing. So made Pretty me, cool. made me happy. Um, and plus, you know, every time someone follows at nerd cognito on Twitter, a sparkle troll shits their pants. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ryan, I love it. I love it. Uh, let's shift to, to some board game slash video game news. Okay. Played much Slay the Spire, Bert? Uh, none, actually. I've seen a little bit about it. A lot of people are talking about it, but I haven't jumped into it. Uh, it's it's a, it's a great game. It's not 100% my cup of tea. You know, card battlers don't really do it for me. I mean, I'll play them, but I, I can't get into them as much as, you know, our dear friend Doug oh, yeah, absolutely. loves the card battlers. Oh, yeah, he's got tons of them. We've played quite a few with him. Well, Slay the Spire has been adapted into an incredibly beautiful board game. And uh, it hit Kickstarter already. And day one, if memory serves me correct, they were north of $1.4 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty good for your first day. It is pretty good for your first day. Now, it's not a cheap game. But the production is also not cheap, as evidenced by they have custom sculpts, they have metal coins, they have premium car, you know, the linen cards that I like. Um, they're, they're not holding back on the expense of the production of the board game. And so, of course, it's going to be a higher dollar value board game. This is going to be one of those 200 plus dollar board games, probably once shipping is in there, closer to 300 bucks. But it is gorgeous and all of the playtest stuff that they have released so far really makes it look like a faithful i don't want to say adaptation but interpretation of the game in a board game format and it really it, it looks spectacular dare i say this could be the game that comes out, you know, whenever it gets off the boats sometime in 2023 slash 2024, because <laughs> <laughs> it is a Kickstarter, right? But uh, no, it, it is absolutely beautiful. And uh, we will have a copy coming to the Nerd Cognito table. So when it comes to our doorstep that week, for sure, we will, we will pop a, a little rundown and review of Slay the Spire, the board game. But it's coming. It's coming. You know, look forward to it. You know, if the production values are as high as you say, I was like a well-made game. Yep. No, it, it, it looks great. It looks truly, truly great. I'm going to kick over fully to video game mode with some quickies here for you, Bert. Uh, we've been okay. talking about Kojima a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, he's been in the news quite a bit. Well, it looks like... Some video may have leaked ahead of a formal reveal regarding Death Stranding's follow-up. 
So, really? Um, the video that leaked, which has been removed from just about every streaming service that exists right now, but, you know, it's the internet. It's still there. Um, of course. Shows a character that looks surprisingly like Mama. Oh, Mama. I, t- I had a video game crush on Mama in Death Stranding. Um, <laughs> and that's Margaret Qualley. We've, we've talked about her. And the character is shown um, in dark corridors with a flashlight with some sort of ominous thing chasing them that eventually catches up to them. And a game over screen hits with a Hideo Kojima game and the title of Overdose. Overdose. Hmm. Interesting. So that is the Kojima news. Of course, that's all we've got because that was a legit leak. Uh, Kojima, famous for spinning things like leaks and the internet community uh, to his advantage, ominously silent on this one. So... It's interesting. Normally he has something to say about those leaks, you know? They they don't normally uh, just kind of float by. Nope, nope. This one might have been a legitimate, legitimate leak, not a Kojima leak. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Another quickie um, game that we've both sunk hundreds of hours into, Fallout 4. If you are a PC player of Fallout 4, you can look forward to a brand new... 43 gigabyte HD texture pack thanks to a very dedicated modder in the community. <laughs> wow, that that's one hell of a mod. Um you know, Fallout 4 is starting to graphically show its age if if you play it and um I tried to go back after playing 76, but there were so many crafting specifically improvements in 76 that I couldn't go back to 4 and faithfully enjoy it. I enjoyed it immensely when it came out. I played the hell out of it multiple times with multiple characters. Um, but 76 really really does have that many new improvements. I don't know that I'll go back just for pretty textures. Um, you know, fuck, we played Pac-Man on the Atari 2600. <laughs> textures, they're pretty, but they're not all that and a bag of chips. As somebody who still plays a lot of Fallout 4, I don't know that I'd want to, you know, eat up 43 gigabytes of memory just for a texture pack. You know what I mean? Well, plus you're going to, you know, that's going to put a little stress on your graphics card. And if you don't have at least something within a generation or two, you're just not going to have the memory or the horsepower to to chew through those textures. So, eh, it is what it is. Last week, you made an interesting observation. Okay. Regarding mini skirmish games. Yes, that, you know, this seems to be the year for them, that we're seeing more and more of them. Everybody seems to be releasing one. Got another one that caught my eye, actually. This one really? is the first one that legitimately caught my eye. Um, it's called Carnival. Not to be confused with the HBO show. This one's spelled different, like C-A-R-N-E-V-A-L-E. Okay. But it is another miniature skirmish game that just looks gorgeous. Um, What's the premise? The premise is that you're set along the canals and rooftops of 18th century Venice. It depicts an alternate history where a horrible eldritch wound has opened up in the sky. 
and strange magics are, you know, dousing Europe right now. Uh, so it is a little bit of 18th century vaudevillian shenanigans, a little bit dishonored in Assassin's Creed as you jump from rooftops, and a little bit Cthulhu. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, fighting and acrobatics and feats are all handled with a D10 system. Um, so there is a die roll supposedly tied to any, as they would call it, critical action in the game. Uh, it's up to four players, and they each activate one model or many each. And it's coming soon. The interesting thing about this is all of the rules and all of the stats are available online. You can buy models and scenery from them. And they even sell, you know, MDF cutouts of the streets of Venice. So they're giving it away and saying, if you like it, buy the stuff. I have been bitching for weeks that all of these new mini skirmish games are coming in with outrageous price points. Right. Absolutely. And I said, someone needs to make something that is accessible. And it looks like Carnival is that something that could be accessible. So the pre-ordered minis are anywhere from, uh, let's see how my conversion is, because it is a European game that's priced in good old Great British Pounds. So for us Americans, um, it it looks like the minis are not bad. They're between 7 and 12 bucks a pop. And the terrain is, if you're all in on the terrain, you're you're going to be about 150 200 bucks a pop or 150 200 bucks total uh but it's all optional hmm. which i find very very interesting absolutely i mean you know with it with an optional system like that sort of pay as you go or you know pay what you can afford you you can still get in and play right so that's interesting yeah it's 30 40 50 millimeter stuff so you could go to target and buy army guys and run this system now of course you're not going to do that if you have a 3d printer you could print things for this system um it's just really 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 the right approach especially when you're getting into a game where you're going to ask your most diehard players to really drop some bucks. Right, right, exactly. I mean, you know, people who are new to the hobby aren't going to make a huge investment to it, at least initially, until they love it. Right. And people who are huge into the hobby normally already have a favorite system, so by, you know, by setting it up this way, you're letting people explore the system pardon me, without having to uh, sort of be all in and, you know, break the bank. Yeah, no, uh, you you could start theoretically for free and use coins. That, that, that's all I'm going to say, right? Right. This, this is the way to do it. Um, 
they support the free community as well. You know, you could go to their website right now and download the full rules. Uh, not a janky half-assed version, not an unlock version. You can go download the full rules right now. You could fold up little paper boxes for the buildings, and they actually have in their community the designers and developers supporting the folks that are doing that too. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the right way for a small studio to become a big studio. And, and my hat's off to them, not to mention fucking cosmic horror, fucking 1800 or 18th century Venice. Come on. They're, they're hitting all the sweet spots here. I'm going to need a new pair of pants if I keep talking about them. <laughs> yeah, you are, you are a sucker for that time period and cosmic horror together. Now, I've never been a sucker for skirmish games. No. Maybe this is one that I would give a shot. You know? I could pull out stuff. I, I certainly have enough stuff. I can pull out stuff that we could play it. But Oh, um, sure. Absolutely. Look at that. Ghost hunting and fighting back tentacles in the sky. Uh, we're, we're, we're lined up through the new year already. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, last but not least on the agenda is tipping back into the video game land. There is a in-development survival game with what I think is just a really clever pre premise. Uh, the game's called The Store is Closed. And the premise is you are locked into, oh, let's just say it's a big blue store that's Swedish and sells furniture. Okay. 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 You're locked into that store. And the reason normally I would just say, hey, you're locked into whatever. But I'm not going to do that now because furniture giant Ikea has already publicly threatened to sue the maker of the game for similarities to their store. <laughs> okay. Um, this is just shitty. On Ikea's part, because if anything, it's drawing more eyes to Ikea, and, and in a good way. Now it's drawing them in a bad way. Yes, the developers of the game have a big blue warehouse building with giant yellow letters, and the store's name is four letters. Um, yes, there are incredible similarities in the crowdfunding trailer to Ikea's business model. These guys aren't ripping off their business model. They're saying this is it would be a great place for a horror movie. <laughs> but uh, it would. I mean, how many times have you gotten lost in IKEA? Oh, I I I actually knew a girl that worked there and um, they have these little like mouse holes everywhere that that are shortcuts and they're not necessarily off limits to customers. They're just not published right they're not the arrows on the floor so in, in the in the time that i was dating this girl i i learned a lot of the ins and outs of ikea so <laughs> <laughs> so you know your way around i i more than just ikea svernan um quote our client has learned that you are developing a video game the store is closed which uses without our client's authorization Incendia associated with the famous Ikea stores. Your game uses a blue and yellow sign with a Scandinavian name on the store, a blue box-like building, a yellow vertical striped shirts identical to those worn by Ikea personnel, 
a gray path on the floor, furniture that looks like IKEA furniture, and product signage that looks like IKEA signage. All the foregoing immediately suggest that the game takes place in an IKEA store. <sighs> I, IKEA, what are you doing here? We didn't see the Olive Garden making a big fuss over no. the Olive Garden role-playing game. No, no. Uh, it's not a good look for IKEA, especially when you're going after a uh, pretty, for all intents and purposes, a single studio or single man studio project. It's it's not a good look for IKEA. Um, Jacob Shaw, the creator of the game, has refuted all of the things, saying that. Uh, the color scheme is not exclusively the intellectual property of IKEA. That's true. Best Buy has the same colors. The furniture that, quote, looks like IKEA furniture, Shaw's response is, quote, I bought generic furniture asset packs to create this game. <laughs> he also said that he is going to comply with every demand in the letter because he'd really rather not get sued and... Even though their requests are a little vague, like furniture that looks like Ikea furniture, um, he's going to rip out everything he can and see if the game can be salvaged. Hmm. So, oh, Ikea, what did you do? I, I, I will tell you this. I need some cubes. And there is a slightly more expensive and slightly higher quality option for cubes for my board games and you know i have one of them i bought it as a test <laughs> right. that yep. is not ikea and uh i will be going with the slightly more expensive non-ikea cubes to finish off the game room so <laughs> <laughs> I, I would too i i i i don't explicitly have like this battle cry desire to to boycott ikea but this is just shitty on their part. So, um, fuck it. You're not getting a thousand bucks of mine for cubes. <laughs> oh, that, my friend, is the news. Interesting. Yeah. Weird news week. Yeah. Ending with Ikea. Ending with Ikea. With Ikea being shitty. Aren't Swedes supposed to, like, just drop down and give you chocolate and blowjobs? <laughs> I don't know about that. Lickenberry jelly's pretty good. Well, uh, I'm all wound up about IKEA. <laughs> I don't know why. I really am. I I need to I need to get off the IKEA train. And no better way to do that than to talk about some fucking sparkle troll bullshit that's happening in the Twitterverse right now. We alluded to it at the start of the show, and I told you about it off the air because, honestly, we went back and forth about whether we were going to even talk about this. Right. Just because it's it's icky, you know? I don't like icky. I don't... Uh, icky. Icky, icky, icky. <laughs> People are dumb fucks, and it's icky. But it, it's a big enough deal, and it's getting enough attention that I think we have to talk about it. And uh, I'm going to read you a quote. Okay. <clears throat> I'm debating right now whether to do it with or without an accent. <laughs> without. Always without. Yes. Asia and Asian inspired setting. No. Absolutely. No, uh, no. 
No, Ryan, no. All right. Let me read you this tweet. I, I was doing that just to, just, you know, in the hopes that the author of said tweet would be listening, just to further piss them off. But uh, this is a direct quote from one of our sparkly friends. Yes, Asia and Asian-inspired settings absolutely can and should be featured in more stories, but not ones with majority white casts and white GMs, even if they're married to Japanese women and living in Japan. Now, I give the Sparkle Trolls a fair share of shit. Probably more than a fair share of shit. I would say so. But I always say, if they like that game, go play it. Right, absolutely. I don't like that they've influenced changes in lore that has been standing for years and decades. I don't like that they're influencing changes in the core of what is Dungeons & Dragons. I don't like some of the table modifications that they bring to the hobby and try to make mainstream. But I've always said, if that's your jam, go do it. Right? I've never said don't play. Right, exactly. You know. This is saying, I'm an old fat white guy. Don't play. Don't play Oriental Adventures which is a setting that I had tremendous fun with more than 20 years ago. This is saying, don't play... And Here's the other thing that rubs me the wrong way. Majority white casts. This ain't improv, sister. This ain't community theater. It's a fucking game. It's players. (laughs) The world is not critical role. But don't tell someone... That we can't do it. We, we we had a very similar discussion with Coyote and Crow. Sure. When the creators of Coyote and Crow said, if you're not Native American, don't play our game. This is even more blanket, just saying, don't play anything Asian-inspired if you're not Asian. That leaves out everybody else. And for a group of folks that like to hang their hat on being super inclusive and empathetic and feeling. This feels really, really evil. And that's coming from me, Bert. Me. Hmm. <sighs> give me your take. Uh, give me your take first. And then we'll talk about, I, I get it. Appropriation, blah, 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 blah. I Sure. But, uh, sure. I mean, but I want to hear you where know, you're at on this one. Well, I mean, I have really no room to speak as a, you know, a cis white male. I am, you know, somebody who's obsessed with Korean food, loves Asian films. You know, it's not. Uh, she would tell you that you are wrong following yeah. the philosophy in this tweet. By the way, cis white male, dude, that's why they called you a sparkle troll last week. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> no, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I, I want to let you go because everybody everybody knows where I'm at on this one already. Sure. And I mean, there are things that, you know, that come up that, you know, maybe aren't the best. You know, stereotyping comes to mind, things like that. But 
to say that somebody can't, you know, play a game set in an Asian culture or can't, uh, you know, in, can't enjoy a, uh, a game because of its setting or because of the, uh, the, you know, because they're not from that background, that is going to be a sort of a shit show as far as that's concerned. You know, part of gaming and part of role-playing is being, you know, is... It's inherent in the name. You just said it. Gaming. Role-playing. I mean, even even when, you know, let's say we have a sci-fi setting, back in the day... Everything fell under the blanket of it wasn't TTRPG, it was FRPG, fantasy role-playing game. Right. It is a fantasy, not necessarily high fantasy, but a fantasy. It is an escape. It is an opportunity for people to be people and things that they cannot be. I can't shoot a bow and arrow for shit in real life. Right, right. And I'm not a master swordsman either. I enjoy playing a ranger. (laughs) So, uh, I'm I'm holding my brain together right now. You you can't see it, but both hands are on my forehead. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of insane to limit. Well, I guess it's kind of the ultimate in gatekeeping. You know what I mean? So... Then it becomes, you know, so for that person, you know, if you're half Asian or quarter Asian, then then is it okay? Absolutely. You know, no. No. Or could you could maybe you could play half Oriental adventures. You know, at, at the halfway point in the session, you got to go and and have a smoke. Well, we're two and a half hours in. I'm out. I've used up all of my Japanese cred. Let, just... let me put it this way, Bert. Let me read this to you. Okay. And I am just going to invert two words. Okay? And you tell me what the mainstream reaction would be if two words were inverted. Ready? Uh, again, reading the tweet, just inverting two words. Yes. White-inspired settings absolutely can and should be featured in more stories but not ones with majority Asian casts and Asian GMs, even if they're married to white women and living in the States. How horrible does that sound? I mean, it sounds terrible. It sounds racist and, you know, very much a a gatekeeper mentality. That's always been my barometer. You know, I, I joke around, and I even tell terrible jokes. But You do. But... My barometer for is something racist is if you flip it and it sounds atrocious, it's probably racist, you know? Um, And I flipped this one and read it in my brain, and I just read it to all of you flipped. And if that were the tweet, if, if the powers that be tweeted that out on Nerd Cognito, I'm willing to bet they would get suspended even under the Elon Musk regime. It, it, that, I mean, that that Twitter would melt down in a minute. Yeah. Yep. So. I'm sure this person is not getting a lot of favorable responses, right? It is, as expected, a deluge of Sparkle Troll support and OSR Venom. 
and neither side is giving an inch. Well, I mean, that strikes me as odd. I mean, for a group that's, you know, all about inclusiveness and avoiding gatekeeping and avoiding keeping people out of gaming, how can they come out in support of something? I always, uh, it maintains my theory on on, on that particular segment is that they are not by any stretch of the imagination as large as they portray themselves. They just have really loud voices. So I mean, what, what's next that, you know, you can't play an anthropomorphic animal game unless you're a park turtle or, uh, I'm all right with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no teenage Ninja Turtle, uh, role-playing game for you. I fucking loved that game, man. I Me still too. have, I still have a copy of it in print somewhere. Um, that game also is apparently blacklisted now too. The the original TMNT from the eighties. So if you still have your book from it, hold on to that bad boy because he's worth a pretty penny. Um, because uh, in the mental illness section, they identified homosexuality as a mental illness. In, I did not realize that in in that particular book. So, um, you know, but. Uh, again, we're judging something from 40 years ago based on the standards of today. Yeah. It got a big old target from from the sparkly crowd. It was one of the very first ones that got the target from the sparkle crowd, even before we thought that they were a crowd. Well, certainly well before I coined the phrase sparkle tr- troll. <laughs> uh, it, it just it was one of the early examples when they were pointing back to OSR and, and before OSR was even OSR and saying, look how horrible this group of gamers is. And um, I don't know. I I can point to all sorts of shit in the past and judge it by standards of today. And is it cringy if you think about it in in standards today? Yeah. But um, that doesn't make the whole property terrible. It just makes the whole property. Fuck, it's an 80s property. Might need an update, that's all. Yeah. Anyway, um, can't play Oriental Adventures, Bert. Someone that is not familiar with the origins of Oriental Adventures is going to write us in this week and holler at me for using the word Oriental. I know that uh, right now. Someone that was born 20 years ago and doesn't do their due diligence is going to say how horrible I am because I'm using the term Oriental. But... Uh, Oriental That's Adventures. What the setting was called. Shh, I wasn't going to tell them that. <laughs> uh, no, that's what the. I mean, then you know, uh, I can't play Legend of the Five Rings. Can't play. You know, there are a lot of those Asian-inspired role-playing games that I guess we'd be right out for. Then guess what? They're all fucking humans, and we all have different backgrounds, and. We can go across the country from New York to Philadelphia to fucking West Virginia to the breadbasket to Las Vegas to Los Angeles, and every single one of those cultures is unique. It doesn't make them good, bad, or indifferent, and it certainly doesn't mean that I don't want to go to Vegas. Let's go to Vegas, Bert. <laughs> I've, been getting, I've been getting hosed, man. Um, and I have made two journeys now. Uh, and 
I've just been getting destroyed. Like, as bad or worse than our last trip together. Would you say podcast from the uh, from Caesar's Palace? <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. But it's not going to happen. Cause no. Right now, I've got capital improvements to make on the uh, commercial building. So <laughs> there is... Um, I, I would rather not take a note on those or not even dip into the world of financing if I have the, the ability to, to just do it. And if that means that there's no trip to Caesars, so be it. <laughs> right. If you can avoid debt, that's always a good idea. Uh, anything else on this on this catastrophe of a tweet, or do we just want to put it to bed? Um, hope that this chicky poo is wise, deletes this account, and just starts fresh and, and doesn't shoot stupid shit out on Twitter again. So that she can enjoy the platform and not get harangued for the rest of her days. You know, I reserve that for the for the old I hate Ryan David account. I <laughs> <laughs> But, but um, they can't do that anymore. They need a new target, right? Well, they can't they can't. It's it's still old El Banode even with Saint Elon at the helm. So um regardless. Speaking of yeah, Twitter, yeah. you should follow us at NerdCognito on Twitter. Uh, go ahead, Bert. You're, you're going to s- wrap up. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, you know, it's Twitter. People say some dumb, people say some dumb things on Twitter, you know, things that they should have never, you know, hit post on. And this is probably one of those things. I mean, you know, you can feel any way you want, but keeping somebody out of a game because of their background or because they don't fit you know your idea of who should be playing it is never a good thing god i wonder what she would think if she knew i was jewish (laughs) he's blonde he can't be a jew okay anyway uh follow us at nerd cognito the powers that be are running that uh if you want to Hit up me or Bert. You can email nerdcognitopodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be able to get those messages. Of course, if you if you hit up the Nerd Cognito Twitter account, they'll get those messages to us as well. Uh, verified! Thank you, Elon Musk, on Twitter. Uh, also, make sure that you are subscribed to our show at the podcast provider that you are listening to us right now on. It's real easy. Go hit the plus sign, hit the subscribe, hit the send me fucking Ryan and Bert every week button. Uh, You can also throw us a review. And most importantly, spread the word on your socials. Tell everybody, hey, listen to these two jerks. (laughs) We we certainly appreciate it. Uh, I got nothing else. Uh, I'm sort of spent. It's been a downhill journey for me. Ever since our last news story. Yeah, I agree with you. We kind of ended on a sour note this week, didn't we? Ah, uh, that's okay. You know what? We we didn't. We didn't. Someone committed Harry Carey <laughs> on Twitter. And we're just saying, go play your fucking games. Um, my name is Ryan David. Thank you for tuning in and listening. I was joined by Bert, as always. And we will talk to you next week. Be safe out there, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>